Good day, everyone, and welcome back to The Filibuster, the D.C. Democratic Party's podcast where we talk to local and national Democratic leaders about why they are Democrats and what issues are important to them. My name is Charles Wilson, and I'm the chair of the D.C. Democratic Party. We're excited today that our special guest is none other than the chair of the D.C. Council, Mr. Phil Mendelson. Chairman, how are you today? I'm fine, Charles. How are you? Good, good. We're glad that you're joining us for this uh, exciting conversation. Um, so we start every conversation with all our guests with a, a very simple question. Uh, why are you a Democrat or how did you become a Democrat? Well, you know, I became a Democrat many, many, many years ago, so I'm not sure I remember the conscious process that I went through. But I have to say that I grew up in a household that idolized Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And uh, so with that uh, tradition, the FDR tradition, uh, Democrats, the Democratic Party always seemed like the right party. In more recent years, I've thought about the um, contrast between Democrats and Republicans. And uh, I think the Democratic Party is more clearly a party that's interested in helping people and looking for solutions to a lot of problems. And what we have seen in the last few years is the Republican Party, which I think has just gone from not where I would want to be to something that's just really abhorrent, uh, to deny the need for environmental change, uh, to deny the need of <clears throat> society's responsibility for helping those who are low income. Um, how many things, just the contradictions that the Republicans stand for, what, uh, uh, little government or less government because they don't want government intruding in people's lives. Yet there's a fight right now over abortion. Isn't that the government intruding on people's lives? Uh, or um, it's okay to tax breaks for the uh, rich, but, uh, you know, if the, if the Democrats try to do something to finally address infrastructure, oh, my God, that's going to bankrupt us. I mean, the hypocrisy and the ultimate hypocrisy, of course, is the um, almost the, the near-death experience with tyranny on January 6th in those couple of months. Uh, we need to refresh our recollections as unpleasant as it is, uh, how uncertain and really anti-American the Republicans were between the November election and January 20th and even since then. So the good Republican Party, the old Republican Party, um, in my view, wasn't good enough in terms of helping people and looking for solutions to make this place, this world a better place. Uh, but certainly the um, current Republican Party is worse. Awesome. Well, we're excited that you are a proud Democrat. Um, yes. You know, b before I get into questions about what issues that you're working on. Um, I had another question. A lot of our listeners may or may not know the role of the chairman of the council. Can you give a little feedback on, on what the role of the chair of the council does? Well, I'm just one of 13 votes. And so in that sense, I'm no different than any other council member. And of course, the, our council has extraordinary powers uh, since we are city, county, and state in our purpose. Uh, so, I mean, if I, if I meet with a city council president from another city, share their responsibilities. I meet with uh, the um, 
uh, a legislative leader from another state share their responsibilities, and then uh, county as well. Uh, but for the chairman, um, I'm responsible for putting together the agenda, even though I don't have a lot of discretion there. But uh, I put together the agenda for our meetings, and I'm the one who makes recommendations with regard to what the committee structure is. Um, and there, there are other, well, I'm the chief administrative officer of the legislative branch. That's why my position is full-time and I'm not allowed to have outside employment. So I have to worry about things like the transition that's going on right now with the Office of A and C. Um, I'm the one who is, supervises the council officers, the general counsel, the secretary, the budget director, even though I give, I'm largely hands-off. I mean, they're, the council would not work well if those uh, council officers were literally subservient to me. Mm -hmm. uh, they, have a, they have independence, but um, still, I ultimately have to deal with issues in those offices from time to time. So there's a lot of administrative side to this. Uh, but to go back to the political side, the um, you know members, if I do the job right, members respect me. And if they respect me, then they look to the chair to help ensure order. So two council members get into a fight with each other, not physical, <laughs> and I probably have to get involved. And they look to me to, to solve that. And, um, um, you know, even with the recommendations I make on committee structure or the agenda, even though it's largely not discretionary, the power of setting the agenda is a power to influence the debate. And uh, so there is a greater role for the chair in managing where the council is. It only goes so far. So, you know, I, um, we recently had the um, Medic Medicaid contracts before the council. Mm -hmm. And I was on the prevailing side of several legislative debates and votes over the past year that disagreed with the mayor. Uh, but then the mayor came up with a proposal in the, you know, in September that um, really implicated the authority of the council. The mayor trying to uh, execute a contract without it actually going through council review. Mm -hmm. She had emergency powers to do so. And so I had to step in and be more involved. And as the chair, I reached out to members to see where they were, to see where there was a consensus, and then went to the executive and negotiated a solution. Uh, that's part of the influence or responsibility of the chair, if the chair is doing his or her job well. Um, I propose, actually I proposed a committee print for the budget, that is what the council's version of the budget will look like. And ultimately, even though everybody thinks of the budget as being the mayor's, and ultimately, what the mayor proposals, 95% of it is adopted by the council. We do make changes, and those changes come out of a recommendation I make. Now, if I'm doing my job right, I'm hearing where members are, and I'm, I'm um, navigating my way through disagreements and coming up with something that gets votes. And uh, the budget gets through on a unanimous vote, has every year I've been chair, but uh, 
Um, if I do it right, it's a little hard to say whether I'm exercising a lot of power or whether I'm just um, facilitating it, which in itself is powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was going to say that uh, I had a disagreement with somebody recently who said uh, the council should do such and such, and I said, do have the votes for it? And the answer was, well, you're the chair. You can get the vote. <laughs> Uh, there are limitations. So on some issues, I can help get the votes. And in some issues, like the recent tax increase with which I disagreed, the votes weren't there. And um, that's just the way it is. All right. Thank you for that insight. Um, speaking of issues and agenda, is there anything coming up in this council period that, that you're really excited about, you're really you know, looking forward to get involved in? Um, that you want our listeners to know about? Well, we are finally uh, breaking up the Department of Consumer and Regulatory Affairs into two agencies. Okay. One of which will be a new Department of Buildings focused on construction. That includes enforcement against illegal construction and focused as well on housing code violations, housing code compliance. And, uh, I'm hopeful that that will make a real difference. It's going to take about a year of transition, and so we're going to be doing some oversight and uh, making sure that this transition is occurring um, efficiently and, um, how do I want to say it? I'm going to say constructively, that, that this actually will work. So that's one item. Uh, I continue to be focused on education because I think education is really the long-term strategy toward changing uh, social injustice in our society. Uh, to that end, I'm working on legislation that would uh, change the budget process for schools so that the schools, individual schools, have more autonomy and less instability with regard to their, their budgets. Um, I would say those are two, uh, probably the top two that come to mind. Okay. Uh, just put in, this, this will end soon because it's not a long-term issue, but I just nominated a, a person for council appointment to the Metro board who I think will um, continue with diversity on that board. That board wasn't so diverse a year or two ago, mm -hmm. and um, but also is a, a frequent transit rider and will represent... Uh, public transit users well in the city. So I'm kind of excited about that. That confirmation hearing is, I believe, October 20th. Uh, I'm probably forgetting a few things, but that's those are some of the highlights. All right. So let's, uh, let's press rewind. And you mentioned DCRA and breaking up the agency. Um, it, I guess I assume you feel there's a need. Can you explain why you feel there's a need to break it up into two agencies? Well, uh, DCRA is a consolidation of a bunch of offices and a couple of agencies that was done in the mid-1980s. Mm -hmm. At the time, this was seen as a major reform, sort of like one-stop shop, anything you needed in terms of licensing and permitting, you mm -hmm. could do for that agency. But what we have seen over the years is an agency that was too large and has... It's always about to function better, but it never does. And uh, um, so by breaking it up, the intent is that there will be a clear 
clear focus, less distraction with two critical functions, and that is um, building code and the housing code. Um, I mean, it's really nothing more complicated than that to um, make the agency smaller. And with regard to uh, the building code and uh, housing code, that there's focus, less distraction, and uh, maybe we will see better outcomes. I mean, there's really nothing worse than uh, a homeowner. All he or she wants to do is just live in their home. And a speculator comes along and purchases the row house right next to them and guts it, violates the construction code. The homeowner's got cracks in her house. Um, house may even be condemned. And it's not her fault. Mm -hmm. What did DCRA do to, to prevent this? And in fact, when she called an alarm because the developer was excavating under her house, DCRA didn't come out that day or the next day. Um, or DCRA does eventually come out and puts a stop work order, uh, but then does nothing more. And uh, so the conditions just deteriorate. Uh, I see that, I've seen that too many times. Um, we could point to the boarding house. Uh, the, remember the fire on uh, Kennedy Street killed a couple of people? Mm -hmm. uh, where was the enforcement on that? And in fact, we had a hearing, and DCRE said, you know, it's really hard to figure out where these illegal boarding houses were. And my staff said, well, you could just do a cross-check with uh, the post office. Mm -hmm. How many people are getting mail at an address and then look to see whether they have a boarding house license? That was sort of an insight to DCRA, um, wasn't there, a, there was a building collapse that was also on Kennedy Street. We've actually had a few building collapses and some of them, the permitting wasn't done right. Or uh, in historic Anacostia, there's a apartment building, it's a condominium, it was built just I think five years ago mm -hmm. and the, the residents aren't sure whether they uh, are going to be able to move back or the building will have to be torn down because it was a third party inspector. Now, I'm not sure the third-party inspector cheated, uh, but uh, it is clear that what's happened there structurally is extraordinary. The building is in danger of collapse, and there was a third-party inspection a few years ago. Uh, these problems, they really cost. They cost individuals, and unfairly. And the flip side of that is that, you know, when you, if you if you a developer comes along and says he's going to build a um, multi-unit affordable housing apartment building, but it takes them forever to get his permits. Or a small business owner wants to open a new restaurant um, and opening is delayed by a month or two or three because can't get the inspections to get the license to open. That hurts businesses. It hurts everybody, this, this dysfunction. So um, improvements, improvements to the agency will make a big difference for everybody. Yeah, you, you you mentioned uh you mentioned my neighborhood by name, historic Anacostia, and I can tell you that my neighbors and I have seen uh, the lack of quick response from DCRA. Um, there have been a number of times where we notice that there's illegal construction going on. We'll tweet, we'll call three one one, and it takes forever for them to come out. And by the time they do, um, if they do put a stop work order, that's pretty much all they do. Um, and then you have to call them out again because the guy, the developer is still doing work on it. And by that time mm -hmm. we lose the house. Um, 
so no, I mean, this, this is a great idea. Hopefully uh, good things will come from it. Um, so we appreciate the proactive uh, legislative response to this. Um, you, you also mentioned education, um, which is one of the top issues here in the, in the district. And you mentioned uh, giving each school more control over its budget. Like, what are, you, what are you hoping the likely outcome of doing something like this comes about? Uh, the likely outcome is more resources for schools, particularly um, where it's needed. And I guess that's an indirect way of saying the at-risk, where there's a high at-risk population. Mm -hmm. So more stability. And that's critical. The, um, so what we see every year is that uh, before the mayor sends her budget to the council, the schools, individual schools are notified by DCPS what their budget will be for the next year. And... Um, what we see every year is that some number of schools are being told that their budget's going to be cut. And then there's a, um, what do I want to say, a lot of drama. And I don't mm -hmm. mean in a negative way, because these are parents who are upset, legitimately upset. Why is my school being cut? Uh, this year we saw it in terms of uh, librarians. Schools were cutting librarians. Uh, a couple years ago, I remember this clearly. This was more stark than, than this year. A couple of years ago, there were like 30 schools that were seeing a smaller budget, and two-thirds of those schools were schools east of the river, where we have the highest at-risk population of kids. That makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Anything, we need to be putting more resources in the schools where there is a, um, a high at-risk population. The, um, there were schools that were seeing a cut, even though they weren't seeing a reduction in their enrollment. I think that was two with Garfield Elementary School. Uh, there were other schools like uh, Flora Henley, a Ward 8 school, where um, their budget was being cut, this was a couple years ago, by $900,000. The, um, if it, you know, we think about schools being funded based on a, on a per pupil basis, that's not true. That just is not true. It is important that DCPS compared to the charter schools is funded on a per pupil basis. But then that money getting to the schools, well, first, some of it has to go to Central. Some of it has to stay uh, in what's called school support, which is multiple schools. And then what's left goes to the individual schools. So it's not as simple as, and people shouldn't expect that schools are going to be funded on a pro-people basis. But they shouldn't be getting cuts. Mm -hmm. If a school loses a class, uh, there was a Ward 4 elementary school this year that lost a I think it's sixth grade to the middle school. And uh, so, yeah, okay, then you cut back on its budget. But when 10 kids leave a school, an elementary school, and they're spread between sixth grades, you lose a teacher? No, that makes no sense. You're not going to lose a teacher, but they lose funding for a teacher. And then what do they cut? Well, they can't cut a teacher because they got all these kids, so they'll cut the librarian. Um, and then the parents get upset, and they should be upset. And that's what I meant when I said drama. Mm -hmm. And so there's all this controversy. The chancellor will come back in. He has a discretionary fund. He'll make some of the schools whole or give them more money. That's not the way it should be. We should take a school like Flora Henley. This is your program this year. We're going to continue that program next year. But actually, you've got a lot of at-risk kids. So we're going to give you some additional resources. And so next year, actually, the school's got a little bit more money. And then... The year after that, you build on that program. We need to change the way we budget our schools, get rid of this instability, get rid of this annual fighting, um, stop this 
unnecessary upsetting of parents. We want parents focused on their kids instead mm -hmm. of focused on city council hearings and, uh, and get more resources into our schools, particularly the at-risk kids. Awesome. So you mentioned uh, parents. Um, if there is any parent listening today and they said, you know what, um, I agree with what the chairman is saying and they want to get involved in this conversation, what's the best way on how to get involved uh, with your office or, or any issue with the council that can really have an impact on the quality of life of individuals here in the district? Well, for me, I try to be accessible. So if there's a community meeting, invite me, I'll come to it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not so easy for me to say, well, any parent who wants to meet with me, I'll have a meeting because my schedule gets packed pretty quickly. But I'm happy to meet with groups. Um, you know, I've had more than a few meetings with uh, uh, groups of parents over the last month or two about reopening and their concerns with reopening, testifying at hearings. So we've had a lot of education-related hearings, and we'll continue to. Uh, some of those hearings, we limit how many witnesses because the it's kind of tough to have a hearing for six hours, nine hours, 12 hours. And as I said, we're having a lot of hearings. But... There's going to be a hearing where you, a parent, can come and testify. There are other ways to reach out, as I said, community meetings. I, I try to be accessible. Um, and then there's some established groups, like, you know, every ward or most of the wards have an education council. Mm -hmm. And uh, so um, join the education council, participate that way. Or through the um, PTA or HSA at the school participate. Those are all ways to be more involved. Awesome. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit. What What's the, the funnest aspect about your job? What do you really enjoy the most? Uh, what I really enjoy the most is the every now and then where I feel I'm, like I'm making a difference. So, you know, I'm the one who put through the legislation 10 years ago for an mm -hmm. elected general. And I think about when I see that Carol has filed another lawsuit on behalf of tenants, mm -hmm. you know, against a slumlord. I don't remember any previous appointed attorney generals doing that. It's because he's elected and he's answerable to the people mm -hmm. and more community oriented. Um, or, um, you know, unfortunately, there was a shooting in my neighborhood recently, and I. Um, I went over to the scene and the Department of Forensic Science was there to gather evidence. Well, the Department of Forensic Science is an independent department that was created through legislation I put through the council to get the gathering of evidence out of MPD mm -hmm. so that it's more independent, more science-driven, and therefore more credible. Mm -hmm. If police do the best job with evidence collecting, there's still going to be criticism of the police. Well, you know, you arrested this guy, so you have a bias. Maybe they did it right, but there'll still be that charge. Get it away from that and make it more independent at the Department of Forensic Science. Um, we had a fight earlier this year on uh, taxes. The fact is, is that we have the most uh, progressive individual income tax in the country. Wealthier people pay more as a percentage of income than low income. And in fact, low income folks, if they get the earned income tax credit, we have, with this year's budget, turned that into a guaranteed income. So the credit that you get, instead of getting as a lump sum, will 
not right away, I think it's a year or two from now, start being paid in 12 monthly installments, like a guaranteed income. This is all good stuff. And um, the, the changes to our tax code um, four or five years ago, which was the uh, recommendations of the Tax Revision Commission, I put through. I put through the council. I then overcame a mayoral veto of it, and we got it into law. And uh, so we are the most progressive. Um, and I'm pleased, even though I voted against a tax increase this year, I'm pleased that we converted the earned income tax credit into a guaranteed income uh, model. Uh, I think that's going to make a difference. So those are the kinds of things that make me feel good, that um, where I see every now and then that actually do something that makes a difference and a positive difference. All right. Well, it's, you know, it's only fair that we talk about, we also talk about has there ever been a time as either at large council member or chair of the council where you said, you know what, I wish we could press the rewind button and do that over again. Um, is there anything that you can think about that says, yeah, mm, that wasn't the right decision. We could have did that differently. I would say often, but those are not <laughs> that I dwell on. So I couldn't even tell you one of them. All right. <laughs> I do. There, there, there are times when I, I think that a position I took wasn't the right one. There are times when I think the position the council took wasn't the right one. But, you know, in this business, there's, this business is really about tomorrow. And by that, I mean that whatever happened at Tuesday's meeting, uh, I, it's now time to think about the next legislative meeting. And, um, you know, if we did something really bad, we can uh, fix it and uh, just move on. All right. Sounds good. So uh, we, at the end of our podcast, we allow our guests to leave our audience with a final note. Is there anything you want to leave us with today? Uh, you know, I'm not sure I expected that question. <laughs> um, I think it's good to be a Democrat, particularly these days when Trump has demonstrated how the alternative is pretty, pretty bad, awful, actually. Um, you know, this city continues, in my view, to be on the verge of remarkable opportunity. I think we really can uh, make a difference with the balance that we've struck between progressive politics and being practical, uh, that um, you know, maybe we can really change the outcomes, the future, for a lot of our kids kids who uh, otherwise would be um, destined to just perpetuate the uh, intergenerational poverty. Um, you know, we, as we come back from the pandemic, the, um, I, I see a city that has a very good chance of going back to how robust it was in terms of activity and being interesting and growing in its population. Uh, and I want to see us continue with all those good things. Awesome. So, Chairman Mendelson, thank you so much for joining us today on the filibuster. As you know, uh, you after me, Phil. <laughs> we we might spell it differently, Phil a Buster. Uh, but you know, you, you're a, you're always a crowd favorite. So, anytime you want to come back and and talk about some more issues, please let us know. We're, you're more, you're always a welcome guest. So, thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Charles. All Thanks right. so much for inviting me. You all take care. All right. Thank you.